0: n-e-t-s-u-i-t-e dot com slash w-t-f <laughs> all right let's do this how are you what the fuckers what the fuck buddies what the fuck nicks what's happening i'm mark maron this is my show my podcast wtf welcome to it if you're new here is anyone new here if you could just stand up please And you want to say your name and where you're from? Welcome. Nice. Great. Thanks for coming. Thanks for being here. We appreciate it. Always welcome. Always welcome in your house or in your car or at the gym, or walking your doggies, wherever you are. Are you at the beach? Are you looking out at the ocean right now, wistfully, wondering what's going to happen in the future of this planet, thinking like, wow, there's so much water. Why can't we live in it? Wow, there's so much, there's so much beautiful horizon here. Why Why? Why can't we find peace and and make the world a better place environmentally and as a species? Why? Look at this beautiful water, this big ocean that has no judgment that has no point of view other than it knows in its heart in the soul and the 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 throbbing core of the planet that it is being destroyed and dumped in and full of garbage because of us so when you're looking at that ocean make sure you know that it's looking back at you saying you fuck you're part of it Yeah, I don't care how, you feel all good, you feel all mushy inside, you feel like maybe there's hope or you're reflecting on your life, you ruined it, you did, you did, you and your holding hands with your loved one there on the beach, you fucked it up, you running with your kids at the edge of me, you fucked it all up, and now your kids are gonna have to live in it, you fucking idiots, you and your boat, you fucked it, you pulling more fish than you should out of me, go fuck yourself, is it worth it? Is it worth it? How many of those oysters are going to turn into garbage? How much of that fish isn't going to get eaten? You think it's just disposable because we make more in this ocean? Good luck with it. Pretty soon, there's just going to be garbage, mutated fucking jellyfish in this fucking inside of me. Yeah, what are you going to do now? Oh, look at the ocean. Isn't it pretty? The ocean is so pretty, isn't it? makes me feel warm inside go fuck yourself said the great man of the sea said neptune said the deep sea monsters go fuck yourself how's it going i um i have lindsey buckingham on the show today lindsey buckingham from fleetwood mac uh man do you realize the impact he's had on all of our lives do you do you think about it maybe not everybody i don't know who really and maybe some of you will think, like, what's Maringon soft? No, no, I just I have some recollections perhaps I'll share with you. I haven't decided yet. So, Lindsey Buckingham is an amazing guitar player, an amazing singer, and an amazing songwriter. I, and I'm not blowing smoke. That's a reality. That is quantitative, a quantitative reality. It's It's been decided by the world, by the universe, by the ocean. Now, what I didn't realize, like... A few years ago, he put out a solo record with a song, um, I think it was called Shut Us Down. And it just, it 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 was part of the rotation in my, uh, my post-separation divorce mix. Uh, it's a very heavy-hearted song, but it made me feel better. Uh, it was comforting, but not hopeful. But I loved it. Like, as he's gotten older, he's allowed himself to be expressive with the voice he has at the age he's at, and it's kind of amazing. But going back... Like, you think of rumors you think of that fucking record but like what do you associate with rumors like I went back and listened to the solo Buckingham Nicks record which I happen to have it's not that easy to find um and I was able to track his his tone because he was I the I, he was the de facto leader of that band I know it's Mick Fleetwood's band but that band for its entire existence has has sort of defaulted to the guitar player's personality and style. Now, I don't know anything about the Bob Welch years. I, for some reason, I just don't do it. But Peter Green, the blues years, it changed my life. And then if you look at Lindsay's time, which was basically the self-titled uh, Fleetwood Mac 75, 1975 album, Rumors and Tusk, because that's sort of what I stuck with with Lindsay. Now, do you realize how many fucking hits are on that self-titled one, the Fleetwood Mac 1975? Because I don't know where to put these, but you, when you start to research these things, you're like, Jesus, man. That record, 1975. So how old were you? What was I, 12? It's got Monday morning, you show, look fine. We and over my head over my head and it's your I know all those songs say you love me and a landslide took that play and a world turning blue that's crazy right I mean they're kind of pounded into your head they're in the wiring they're all great songs yeah and Lindsay had something to do with a lot of them Maybe most of them. I could actually tell you exactly which ones, but we don't need to do that. And then you move up to Rumors, 1977. So at that point, I'm 14. How old are you? Right? You know those songs, right? Of course you do. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Go your own way. Go your own way. Uh, never break the chain, never break the chain, never break the chain. Oh daddy, be, be doo do. go does a woman biddy Huge records. Mega records. Lindsay was all about you know the collaboration, but Lindsay was like at the heart of a lot of that. Christy McVee and Stevie, you know, and then the rhythm section, which is the namesake of the band. But for me, rumors means brush ranch. Brush Ranch was a camp I went to in the Pecos in New Mexico. Okay. I remember that there was a dance at Brush Ranch and I just had this massive crush on this girl named Karen McKibben. And, you know, I just remember her singing along with secondhand news and I thought it was so heartbreaking and, and sweet. And I just, I just had the biggest crush on her, but I didn't really know what to do. I don't know what to do. And then she ended up, like, hanging out with Andy Stone. You know, when I was younger, I could never really seal the deal. Uh, I just fell into myself and or, you know, made a mess. You know how that goes. But uh, I do remember that dance at Brush Ranch in 1977, you know, dancing to to Secondhand News, which is not—it's a hard song to dance to, but I just remember looking, watching— dancing with karen mckibben and she was singing along to it and the song moved me but there was something about her singing it that kind of never left my memory like there was a depth to it it added depth to her and it made me have some sort of strange empathy and uh and want to be there for that person but again it was not our destiny i don't know what happened to her it's so long ago 1977 how long ago was that oh my god So it was great to sit down with Lindsay. He was very accessible and he's a great guitar player, a great songwriter and a good guy. Great singer. Anyways, uh, his new album, uh, Lindsay Buckingham, self-titled, comes out on September 17th. He's going on tour to support the album. And this is me talking you get it now wherever you get your podcasts. Do you ever use those in the studio? These things, uh,
1: I don't actually. I, you know, I, I'm so, I sort of, I because you know, I basically do everything myself in the studio on the solo albums. So, right? So I'm like a one mic guy, you only need Unless you, you're, unless you're gonna, sometimes I've tracked down there with the drummer, but you know,
0: you don't, but right, you don't do the drums.
1: N- well, I do though. I mean, like on the new album, I it was like just playing it off a keyboard. Oh yeah, stuff. yeah.
0: And uh, uh, you, that doesn't. You don't have any problem with the uh, the the idea of that not being drums?
1: No, not ex- not really. Not yeah. not uh, <laughs> as a philosophy, but right. you know, it does present certain problems if if you're. I had to sort of talk myself down on... I mean, there's there's like one song in particular that, yeah. that's very sort of rock and roll, and, and it, it doesn't have a drum feel in there because I just thought... Right. And I had to, you know rationalize that away and say, well, you know, Empire of the Sun never does drum fills, so it was sort of <laughs> so like, like, so like that. You, you
0: just have to frame it correctly. Yes, So exactly. you can move on. Yes. So I, I was listening, I was trying to catch up, or not catch up, just re-listen to Like, I think we could probably talk about a half an hour about the uh, packaging of the Tusk record.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, what I, whatever I can remember. Really. Uh, no, I mean, it's just like there's, there's sleeves within
0: sleeves. I know. there's. A lot of artwork. There's really, there, everything that, like, from rumors on. You know, all the the records seem like there's drama. Got you know some sort of like classical uh, ballet poses and theater things going on.
1: Well, there always was the theater, especially with Stevie. You know. Yeah. And I think she brought a little of that, you know, in, and it influenced Christine very slightly, and and perhaps even Mick. Yeah. But. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. there's there's no getting around the fact that once we had that ridiculous success with with rumors yeah. where the the uh you know the success at some point detached from the music and became about the success
0: yeah, yeah i was wondering like also like i i kind of want to build up to this so but it, it literally um it struck me Because I'm a a Fleetwood Mac fan of the Peter Green years. Oh, as am I. Sure. I don't know anything about the Welch years. Zero. I I know there's like four or five albums, and for some reason I put them on, I just can't listen to them. I I can listen to Kiln House. Before I can listen yeah, to Bob. Yes, so I,
1: I, I had Kiln House and I had then play on, and I, I'm with you on, on the stuff that came after that, because what happened was, you know, Danny Kerwin started to recede into the background, right. and Bob Welch came in, and Christine had come in on Kiln House, which was fine, but, yeah. but then they kept, you know, I mean, I give Mick a ton of credit for... Doing whatever he had to do to keep the band going. Yeah. And I also give Mo Austin a lot of credit for keeping them on the label when they probably were not making Warner's uh, a whole lot of money. Forever. I mean, they didn't. I don't think they. Did they have one hit with Welch? I. Well, I don't know. Maybe hypnotized. I'm not really oh, sure. Oh yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But minimal, right. and um, and beyond that, each album was a different lineup, and so there was, it, it, they were all non sequiturs. Yeah. And so there was no way to get sort of a flow. Of like who is, who are these well, people? Yeah, and it's
0: kind of tricky when your band is really a rhythm section. Exactly. I mean, ultimately, because because yeah. that's one of the things I noticed was that. You know, rhythm section is, is still just a rhythm section. So, like, whoever is going to be the front man, it's, on some level, it's going to be their band.
1: That, that is correct. <laughs> and um, there were a lot of band leaders in Playwood Mac. And yet, ironically, behind the scenes and to some degree, the, in terms of the essence and the soul of the intent of the band, Mick was always the constant.
0: Well, he was the, the backbone, literally, yes. of the music. Yes
1: and without him they wouldn't have stayed together and yeah. without him you know he he was in he was focused but also kind of wildly intuitive enough to you know hear you know me play guitar on on one of the Buckingham Nicks tracks, yeah. and and based only on that, ask me to join Fleetwood well, Mac. No, I mean, I,
0: I have that record, which is not easy to find. It's kind of a rare record.
1: Yes, it is.
0: Yeah, but I have it.
1: We've talked about re releasing it, but there, you know, politics seem to enter into it. What do you mean? What would it take?
0: I mean, they do it for record store it, day, it would or something.
1: just take St- Stevie and me being in the same mood <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> do you-
0: now, let, but let's, you know, going back, I mean, because you're a style, like, I, I like, whatever's happening now, like, you know, whenever you decided, like, there was a couple of solo albums where you were doing dance music, doing something of the time production-wise, but now it's gotten mm-hmm. almost eerie in, in how you capture your vocals. Right. You, you know, which is, you know, it gives it sort of a, a, a weight. Where to the point where that you know uh, almost shut me da- oh, sh- shut us down shut, shut us, us down, down. that yeah. song like I you know when I divorced my uh, second wife like I couldn't fucking stop listening to that song and I was like oh my god is this good or bad for me you know this feelings that I was getting from it right yeah but uh, but but I always have this problem and I think we talked about it at Largo where I, I assume that. When I listen to someone do their singing and their their songwriting, I'm like, he's going through the same thing. It must be a difficult time for Lindsay. I don't know what's happening, but I appreciate it.
1: Well, you know, I I think in a lot of ways, my songwriting and my uh, approach to record making changed dramatically once I got married. And had children because mm. it was a whole new landscape to draw from, yeah. and a whole new set of challenges in terms of a relationship that you know obviously marriage presents a great number of uh, sort of uh, quirks and 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 I, I like and your post
0: divorce searching for a diplomatic word yes. to describe <laughs> yes
1: so you know yeah, um, yeah. and there there had also been a, a, a long period of time. Between the solo album I had done in '92, yeah. uh, out of the cradle, right, and then you know I got drawn back into Fleetwood Mac because I made out of the cradle while I had decided to leave the band for reasons of survival yeah because the band was just su- such a it? crazy oh. circus of drugs oh. and and uh, lack of focus at that time so and,
0: that was like okay so after Tusk you're like I you know I'm not gonna live well you know I...
1: no it was it was not after Tusk and it was it was after tango in the night okay. in 1987 and and I did produce the Tango in the night album and, and we I think we prevailed in making a great album despite the circumstances but when it Ch- the
0: circumstance being chaos and drugs.
1: Chaos and-, and, yeah, and and not seeing certain members more than maybe uh, a few weeks out of the, the yeah. year it took to do, <laughs> well, Yeah, hell, yeah. um, Mick living in a trailer in my front yard. Why uh, was he doing that? Well, because he couldn't drive home at night, you know? <laughs> So,
0: so you had a trail. You just put it on the budget. You just to put a trailer. Uh,
1: yeah, the budget was 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 quite forgiving back then. You know, so you know when it came time to contemplate that scenario and yeah. and that those challenges on the road, which is usually about times ten what what goes on in the studio. I just said to myself, I got to take a break here.
0: And we, and you been, you were married already? No, I was you not wasn't. married. No,
1: no, no. The marriage uh, didn't come till like two thousand. Did you
0: like sober up totally, or
1: I um, I didn't uh, you know stop drinking until uh, you know about the time I. The joke my, here is uh, well, I didn't stop drinking say, until.
0: Wait, what time is it? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> no, no, no. It was um, about the time my my first child was born oh, yeah. and I just you know wanted to be a consistent presence and wanted to uh, I just I just didn't need it anymore I, I mean thank God I'd gotten all of that out of my system and I just stopped one day how know. old are your kids now my oldest and I started late right yeah, you yeah. know so my oldest is 23 right. uh, my son and I have two daughters who are 21 and 17 oh wow
0: so, yeah. so they're, they're through it they're through the tunnel
1: they are Perfect. indeed, yeah. and boy, does it go fast, right? Does it?
0: I don't know. I don't have any.
1: It's uh, it's crazy because you think of them as these, you know, uh, these little creatures yeah. that have unconditional love, and then one yeah. day they go in their room and close the door, and they don't like
0: you anymore for a couple they, of years,
1: or maybe ever. You <laughs> never know, depending on the brakes.
0: How <laughs> <laughs> was how was how was Europe? Where were you brought up?
1: I was brought up in Northern California. Oh, that's I, yeah. beautiful. Uh, Atherton. You know. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I mean, having Palo Alto and Stanford there and all the, uh, not just the intellectual uh, bent that Stanford. Brought to the whole area, but yeah. also the research that they were doing there, and this obviously predates the Silicon Valley. Was your
0: was your father in that kind of world? No, or? no, no. He was in the coffee business. The coffee business early on. Got early adapter. Or what? How was he in the coffee business? Well, he, he was. He had
1: a a, a label uh-huh. um, that that had been started by uh, my mom's grandfather. A label. A coffee label, so
0: like something you buy in the store. Yes, yeah, so a commercial know label. His, his and it, coffee. It,
1: it came up at the same time as Hills Brothers and Folgers and all those kind of commercial brands okay. that still exist. What's the name of the brand? The, the brand is Alta Coffee. But, Alta, and it 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 did quite well through mm, maybe the early '60s, uh-huh. and then it, it then it began to sort of take a, a bit of a nosedive as a company, you know, and and uh, so at some point, you know, it just shut down altogether.
0: Did he retire? Like, did he have? Did he? Well, my, he, he passed sitting? away. Actually, oh, okay. he was
1: still working at the coffee company. Uh,
0: how, oh, that's too so, like how young? How, long, how old he was he? He
1: was not old. He was like fifty-six. That's scary. I know. Well, how, how old th- were you? What was I? Uh, Twenty-one.
0: Yeah. Wow. So, like, was it a, a heart attack kind of situation? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that? So, you do you get checked up? You good? I do
1: i I mean i've uh, th- one of the things that has happened in the last few years is i I ended up going in and having a bypass myself, which was a lifesaver Pre- yeah. it was
0: uh, a a preemptive bypass. yes, good for you.
1: And they uh, caught it, huh? Well, I mean, let, you know, you never know, but uh, yeah, I you mean, you just
0: went in for a checkup. Do you have chest symptoms? Well, what
1: I I had some chest symptoms, and I went in, and they they, you know, next thing I remember, my wife going, "Hey, you just had a bypass." Really? <laughs> yes. Wow. So that was fun. Just one. Uh, no, like uh, triple, I think. You know? Wow. Oh, my <laughs> oh God. yeah. But so, you know, it's it runs in the family. But but you know, I also have a brother who passed away much younger, even forty four from a heart attack. From a heart attack. Oh my god! But I have an older brother who is like seventy eight. Yeah. who is great. So nothing, no heart problems. It's a roll of the dice. You know, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> so your old man's in the coffee business.
0: You got these two brothers. You're in Palo Alto now. Like I, that must be around the time that there was a folk scene there. What was going on musically for you when you were coming up there?
1: Well, I'm in high school, and and of course. You know, you got to sort of predate that time. You know, my whole interest in music was was predicated on my older brother bringing home Elvis Presley records.
0: Oh, uh, that's that's always the, the the portal.
1: It is, and if you're if you're old enough to have, you know, because the music that existed in that you called popular music or the music that was in our household, yes, was. Music our parents listened to. Sure. So you graduated high school when? 1967.
0: Oh, wow. So that was like right before everything turned upside down. But you remember when you were a kid, your brother bringing home like the first few Elvis records? Well, yeah,
1: he he was a huge fan and he he bought... Every everything yeah. from all the great early rock and roll, yeah. you know Chuck Berry and oh, Jerry yeah. Lee Lewis and Johnny Cash, oh, yeah, yeah. And everything. Yeah, and um, I, I was the beneficiary of that because I suddenly wanted to teach myself to play guitar. You so taught yourself? I did, and so by the time I got to high school, and I, I had no ambition to be uh, a rock and roll. When did you
0: start teaching yourself guitar?
1: Uh, about age six, so I just got a chord book.
0: I, oh, that was how it went. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I and learned you, songs, you know. But you never took a lesson of any kind? Never in
0: my life. That's crazy. And, that, you know, <laughs> it's interesting to me because you're such a, uh, 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 you have totally your own style. You know, the, you know the, there's no denying, you know, if you hear Lindsey Buckingham playing on a song and you hear the song and you're like, who is that? That's Lindsey Buckingham. Of course it is. No one plays like you. And I wonder if that's because you had to put it together on your own.
1: It's, it's probably because <laughs> there was no sense of right or wrong. You know, I mean, right, um, right, right. And, and and some of that is also the, the the things that were profoundly influential. You know, you started off with rock and roll, and then when the first wave of rock and roll kind of started, who, to,
0: who was the big
1: influence guitar wise when, when
0: you were um, a kid? Well, was it I mean, Chuck or?
1: No, more like a Scotty Moore who used uh, a pick and his fingers, uh, or or Chet Atkins who played on so many great studio sessions. Yeah, Um, and then when that started to die down, looking for something fresh, that's when folk music took over for me and it it was very mainstream initially. It was like the Kingston Trio and Like in later high school for you? Um no, more like um Junior high eighth grade, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh like nineteen sixty two or three or something like that. And um so, you know, that that's where the all the finger picking style that is so recognizable
0: you learned it that? You're, you just learned that yourself? Well,
1: yeah. And and
0: so many of the... Nobody the, said, come here, Lindsay, let me show no, you
1: this. No, 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 no. It, w- it was just so prevalent in the folk music. And so it was just something... And I learned to play like five-string banjo and all of that. And then, of course, the Beatles hit and blew everybody's mind and and redefined rock and roll and redefined the world in so many ways. It's so weird because when I listen to,
0: even I think maybe on the, the most recent record, but certainly in the last few solo records, there's always a few tunes on there That could categorically be called folk music.
1: And there is one in particular that's a cover of of an old song by the Pozo Seco singers called Time, which was from, I'm guessing, 1965, maybe? Oh,
0: wow, yeah. Is that on the new
1: one? It is. It's on the new one. So, you know all of that existed for me i don't know if culturally in palo alto and in the bay area it, folk was so prevalent but what was prevalent was obviously what started happening in san francisco after that sure and so in you know the, uh, the summer of love and yeah. and the hippies and 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 you were in high school and the film more just out of high school yes well and i was never in a band i never wanted to be but did you go hang out Mm, not so much. You know, I was, <laughs> I, I had my my craft, which I sort of kept to myself. I mean, people knew I played, but it wasn't something that I defined myself so as. So you didn't go over
0: the bridge and go to the park and do the thing? I had, No,
1: I hadn't deprogrammed, you know, because I think there were expectations probably for me to do something a little more on the straight and narrow. Was your mom
0: a professional person?
1: She was not. uh, uh, But, you know, and they were always very supportive. Uh, I I ended up, I found myself in a band because um, a drummer friend of mine had asked me to play guitar just for a high school assembly our senior year. and, And that turned into something that we, after the summer, when I was at junior college, the next fall that yeah. we decided we wanted to keep going, and what so what were
0: the songs? What were you playing? Well,
1: I I don't know. Uh, we had a, a guy um, who played keyboard who wrote a lot of the material. Oh, you doing originals? We were doing originals at the assembly, and, and we were doing uh, we did an original at at the assembly. Wow! Yeah, yeah.
0: Was it like uh, psychedelic stuff?
1: It was kind of um, more Yardbirds kind oh, yeah. of sure. thing. Yeah, know? yeah uh but pretty good his early stuff especially and then it got it did get more psychedelic and maybe you know we sort of lost the focus of what we were doing Who uh, is the
0: guy still a musician
1: uh, Well he's still around his name's Javier Pacheco Yeah um and and Stevie was in that band you know we we needed a singer In high school it, it, freshman year of, of college, yes. That's when you met her? I, I actually did meet her in high school. She came to my high school when she was a senior. She transferred in because her dad moved around all the time. He was uh, a very ambitious uh, businessman who, uh-huh. who worked for Lucky Lager and then later for Dial Soap as oh, yeah. an executive, and uh-huh. that required him to keep relocating. And so uh, Stevie showed up she's a year older so i was a junior she was a senior but we definitely connected even back then oh wow and yeah
0: i didn't know it went back that far
1: yeah and then she went off to uh, san mateo junior college and i stayed in high school and then i saw her again the next year and we were looking for a singer and someone said what about stevie because she was already known to be a good singer
0: because she had sung where
1: um you know young life meetings things like that <laughs> assemblies maybe you know i can't
0: even imagine that's so like that there's a sweetness to to the like because i don't know this story obviously i just know the story starting at sound city you know or, or right you know or, or what and, and then the rest of it just seems like a struggle
1: well, you know, I when I look back on the all of those early days now in high school or before. Well, or no, after? no, from from the time that we formed a band yeah. and started to play. Uh, uh, by the way, my mom and dad were so supportive of that band even though they didn't want me to be a professional musician. What was musician. the name of the band? Fritz. Uh-huh.
0: Did you lay down any tracks?
1: We did uh at one point later on and um with the intent of Perhaps shopping them f- to get a deal, but we were never successful. You yeah, know? it was we. It was like, you know. So when you look back. Well, when I look back on the the let's say f- four years that we were together as a band, because we all were in in college. Fritz. And Fritz, and yeah. we all decided to to drop out of college at uh, pretty much. I think, actually, Stevie stayed at San Jose State, but but the rest of us dropped out. And we were working, you know, every weekend, two two shows a weekend, and we had uh, a guy named David Forrest, who is our manager, who was uh, very effective at keeping things going and, and keeping us above water, and was not effective at getting Fritz a deal, and Fritz probably was not worthy of a deal, necessarily, but... Through that, um, some we we did go down and, and and expose ourselves to some record people, and they in L.A. in L.A. Now, and they, were
0: you and, and Stevie uh, and, uh, and in a relationship at this not, point? No,
1: no. The, only after you were just pals. Yes. Huh. Only after Fritz broke up, and the, the the one of the reasons that we became a couple was because when we did go to L.A. as Fritz. There was not a lot of interest in the band, but there was interest in Stevie and me. Someone Uh saw that there was, you know, something going on with these two here. And so... uh, 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 Like a chemistry? A chemistry, or maybe they just sensed that that they heard us singing together, and Uh uh, who knows. Uh But that drove us to sort of rethink our self-identity as a duet and then we went back up to, to Northern California and, and I we I worked on so, and I had never written songs before but I said I guess I gotta start writing songs so huh. I tried to figure out how to write songs and Stevie was already a pretty great writer so I worked on I, I had gotten with a little bit of money I had inherited an old 4 Ampex 4-track Yeah AG four forty four track Yeah and I would uh, I, I took it up to my dad's coffee plant and, and at night I would drive up to Daly City and I would work doing basically what I still do, which is, you know, doing the, the, the Les Paul thing where yeah. you play everything and you figure out what how to make it sound like a record. Did you have a drum kit up there? No. Oh. But, you know, we, we, we basically... Got a group of songs and then did the same process with David Forrest in L.A. and The manager. And, yes, and we did yeah. get a deal, you know, eventually. For Buckingham Knicks. Yes. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is when I look back on all of that leading up to even even the whole Buckingham Knicks time, which on one level was... A disappointment because we did this album and it came out and nothing much happened and the the record company and our managers sort of lost interest in us. Yeah, it still led to Mick hearing me.
0: The fact is, like I listened to that record yesterday,
1: and you
0: know there there are there are ways of phrasing and ways you know both musically and lyrically and styles that you know that stayed with you throughout. I mean, on, on some level the you know your time in and Fleetwood Mac was a continuation of a vision yes. that you had established already. yes we
1: brought much of what we were at that point and that was kind of written and sewn into Fleetwood Mac it's crazy to and me and changed Fleetwood Mac for forever
0: <laughs> yeah so so this record you know what was now looking back on it because you know I kind of I try I, I I've talked to musicians ab- about this stuff before now what did you see as the single on that record
1: well, that was a problem because right. there was not a, an obvious single, and because um, that's what I was trying to figure out, like what what went wrong with this? Was it a promotional
0: problem, or there was nothing that had a, a hook clear enough to well, call it a well, single? You
1: know what was ironic about yeah. that was that we started playing some dates with opening for other people. Poco is one group I remember oh, yeah. in, in the South mainly in Florida yeah. and in Alabama and r- regional places, yeah. and suddenly. There was, we were starting to get airplay on the radio with the song of mine called Don't Let Me Down Again. Yeah. That happened. That, that was, falls
0: into that realm of like soft rock, it does. right?
1: Yeah. Well, it's actually a little harder. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, I, I Which always one thought it? it's yeah, got it. a riff. It goes. <laughs> oh, the blues <laughs> number, almost. Yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah, it's yeah, kind yeah. of a country right. thing. Okay. Sort of, yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Okay.
1: Um, you know, I always thought because it was got a lot of play in Florida that got, maybe got a little, uh, a
0: little Southern rock hook,
1: yeah, yeah, and uh, you know maybe even Eric Clapton thought of that for Motherless Children you know, a little oh, bit because it was sort of, sort of similar, you know. Yeah, yeah. The point is that it, it made it sort of a tough decision to join Fleetwood Mac because we had this sort of sense that maybe something was actually going to happen and. And maybe it would have. We had to make a, an adult decision if that was something that was even.
0: <laughs> so that that record comes out in like seventy three, right?
1: That sounds right. Yeah. So
0: like, I can't even like. It's really hard for me to think back like though the early seventies hadn't. It was still pretty heavy rock, right? Mostly around. Yeah. And and how was it? How was how were things changing? I mean, what but like the, in in terms of your decision to to to, to take up Mick on this thing. And at this point you and and Stevie are a couple?
1: Yes, we are. But yeah. we we're having problems. Immediately. Well, I mean, we we had had problems even before I met Mick. Yeah. Um, we'd been together quite a long time. It it seemed fairly effortless and and it didn't seem as that difficult. Uh-huh. It seemed like things were sort of leading up to this other thing in, in a way when I look back on it it feels sort of like you know we didn't we couldn't see it. It was right in front of our face but but organic it, organic and and not difficult because we got down to l a as a duet and we did get a deal. We did make an album, and yes, we were in the throes of trying to figure out what to do in you know in a, a sort of post release environment. but then then Mick shows up, but and, that
0: record, I mean, you had you know you must have i mean you had a lot of the the l a you know, studio crew around that on that record, right? Waddy played guitar. Waddy. Keltner on drums.
1: Keltner played a lot of drums. Yeah. Uh, Ronnie Tutt played some drums. Yeah. Uh Jerry Schiff.
0: So that was all through the label?
1: No, those were people that we gravitated to, um, and I think Keith Olsen, who, you know, co-produced that yeah. that album. and And again, without Keith, we wouldn't be here because Keith was the one who said, why why don't you, you know, Stevie and I figured, well, you know, if we really want to get serious about this, we got to move from, you know, the Bay Area and be in right. L.A. and, and Keith and, was
0: like a big guy, big producer.
1: Well, he was a, a pretty successful producer, yeah. and but more than that, he was just a really generous guy. Uh-huh. And we didn't know him that well, but but he was entrepreneurial, and he was also very human about being entrepreneurial. And he said, come down, you can live at my house for a while. Uh-huh. And we did. We were there for months. So he knew all these guys. And he, he, knew. he knew Waddy. He yeah. introduced me to Waddy, and, I, you know, I think we sort of... Uh, Sort of threw other names out. Did but, he
0: have that hair then, Waddy?
1: Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> he's never had anything else that I've seen. <laughs> I'm sure when he was, you know, in eighth grade. <laughs> and what, what did
0: you like? Ha, what What makes him uh, such an uh, adaptable guitar player? Do you, when you play with Waddy, can you define? Can you feel what what his style is?
1: Well, I think he's just someone who um, is like. Superbly appreciative of what people do and the nuance of what they do. In fact, you know, I, I would say Waddy more than anyone, because we used to hang out almost every day back oh, yeah. back before Fleetwood Mac, uh-huh. and um, he. He was the guy who turned me on to late Beach Boys, oh. and turned me. He was the guy who basically taught me how to listen in that way. The you new know? Big Brother. Yes. Yeah. You know to, to to take it apart, and of course I was a very intent listener to Elvis and sure to, in my own way, but I, but not so much. Let's. You know, let's let's look at the architecture here, and let's oh. you know that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. He he was superb at being able to appreciate that, and I think it just showed in his playing. You know,
0: sure. And he and he uh, he he hipped you to a lot of uh, uh, different stuff. He did, uh-huh. and you
1: know, together we, we you know because we had similar tastes and similar reference points. Uh-huh. You know, he was a couple of years older, so you know, he just. Like, and well, from well, New York, you know. Sure. So.
0: <laughs> what was some of the stuff? Do you remember that, that stuff that kind of changed your way of seeing well, I mean, or hearing things? Because, um, like, sometimes I listen to your rhythms and I don't know where they come from.
1: Well, I think they come from, again, a lack of having been taught what's correct. But
0: some of it seems kind of uh, you know, a, a primal in a way, and some of it seems kind of uh, you know, almost pre blues based that there's a momentum to it. Right. Uh, did you listen to any of those sort of, like, uh, th- those uh, earlier blues dudes?
1: I did not. I, I would say blues, generally speaking, was not something that that hit home for me in, in a way. Uh, I mean, I, I... You've done some blues numbers. I have. Yeah. And, you know... Um, <laughs> just, you said it like, you have to, you know, it's a, a thing we do. Well... You gotta, <laughs> You know, Sometimes it's defined by another writer. And, sure. Uh, okay. Christine, for sure, is, is more based in the blues. Uh-huh. And, and, of course, John McPhee uh, you yeah. know, has the yeah, 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 blues yeah. breakers and all yeah. of that. And Mick. And Mick. That's true. Yeah.
0: He plays great shuffle blues. He does. Oh, oh
1: they They all come from that. And, yeah. and I really came from something...
0: Yeah, something
1: in your bedroom. Way more California, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh,
0: <laughs> but, like... But do, how about does it go back further? I mean, do you did you listen to any kind of African music or world music cuz I don't or you just kind of made you just kind of gravitated towards this. I there's don't... a run, there's a way that you do rhythm that that seems kind of unique and I don't know where it comes from and you just think it comes from
1: I I that's a good question. I wish I could tell you. Do you know
0: what I'm talking about?
1: Um kind of sort of yes. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, even the song you mentioned shut us down. I mean, it's all. it doesn't have a drumbeat on it to orient you to where the one is. So if you don't, That's it. if you get caught in in a kind of a 6-8 measure and you, you're not sure what it is, yeah. you, you might not be able to latch onto the feel of the song. So there is that element which comes up a lot because I love taking what you would describe as a traditional folk pick a yeah, travis right. pick yes and then crossbreed it with with uh something with a, a different time signature right you
0: know? right right so but but even like on some of the bigger on, on rumors there's something different like you know even on like is secondhand news yours uh-huh. that, that rhythm is is not a normal rock rhythm no is <laughs> it, it, the one missing there too initially
1: no uh-huh. No, 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 but but th- that's a that or go your own way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. Th- is also a little disorienting until you get to the chorus. Yeah, you know, I there was when when go your own way, which was the first single from Rumors when it first came out. Yeah, um, before the album was even out, they yeah. they released that as a single and. Um, I was in my car, and I heard it come on, and I was going, oh, great, you know. So, and <laughs> yeah, this is FM, FM radio, KLOS, or yeah. whatever it was, yeah. and and uh, the 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 very well-known DJ, B. Mitchell Reed, yes. uh, comes on after the song, and he goes, well, that's the new Fleetwood Mac one, and, he's, and then he takes a pause, and he yeah. says, I don't know about that one. <laughs> and so, me being the ballsy guy that I was back then, and to yeah. some degree still am, yeah. Uh, I went, I got to where I was going and I, I got on a phone and I called him up. I said, Hey, B, this is Lindsey Buckingham. He's, he's like, Oh, oh hi. Yeah. <laughs> I said, So, you know, you just played my song. And you, you said you weren't sure about it. What, what what was it you weren't sure about? He goes, Well, I couldn't find the beat. Oh, and that, it's that right. same thing. You know, Mick's playing, I wanted Mick to play what Charlie Watts played on Street Fighting Man and he paraphrased it. In a way which made it even sort of more, and again, like I say, you get to the chorus and it all becomes clear, and then you're fine. But it kind of throws you where, where everything I mean,
0: is. I just realized this goes back to the first album you did with him, Like like Monday Morning has that yeah. bucket, that groove is it's the same thing in a way. Well,
1: you know, Mick and I are one of the things that I love about Mick is I'll come in and I'll say, Mick, I want this kind of a feel, and I'll tell him something specifically, and he will. Usually, not do what I ask, but he'll do something which is his own, right? And and so you know, anytime you hear something like Monday Morning or Secondhand News or go your own way, that right. has a be- a beat that that seems to stand apart a little bit. Yeah, it's a combination of my original intention and his interpretation.
0: It's interesting because by Tusk, it's almost like he just he's like just playing bongos. Old,
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, that was that was crazy. Well, that was actually a drum loop. Uh-huh. I mean, a true drum loop uh-huh. back in the day before digital. Uh-huh. And we we had like a piece of tape that was edited into itself. And, and it, we were running it through the machine and, and and holding a spool across the room and just letting like 16 bars of... Why? Because Mick was passed out or what? Well, no, but I, I I maybe... Well, there's probably two reasons. One is that we found probably found just this little bit which was... Just the zen of the idea. Yeah. And the other part was that we, you know, coming off of rumors, we you were a little obsessive. <laughs> okay. Right.
0: So, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yes. Uh, I mean, and, you're, you're and, and, talking
1: about the artwork of and, Dusk. And, and, I mean, that's the same thing. I mean, in a post rumors environment, so you guys like, were up. It's like more is better, you right? Were, you were awake. Too, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> in more ways than one. Sure. Yeah. A, a lot of minds going real fast. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But I I think, uh, like I don't think I really remember to realize just how how big of a record that first record you did with them was. I mean, that's a big record.
1: Well, and again, that that kind of goes along with what I was saying about the time from college through meeting Mick. You know, which it it all seemed to fall into place in retrospect, even though it wasn't so clear that that was what was happening in the moment. Right. So
0: Mick heard. You know the song from the Buckingham Nicks. Yes,
1: yeah, I, I, uh, Stevie and I were working on some new uh, songs for a second Buckingham Nicks album at Sound City Studios, yes. uh, and they had they had a smaller studio, Studio B, in the yeah. back, and the, the main one where we had cut Buckingham Nicks was Studio A. So I took a break. It was probably early, you know mid-evening, sometime, yeah. and I w- wandered into Studio A to see what Keith was doing. And I, I get close to the door, and I hear the song Frozen Love from Buckingham Nicks playing very loud, and I'm thinking, what is going on in there?
0: It's my song. Yes. Yeah.
1: And so I open the door, just as my you know, screaming guitar solo starts, and I look across the console. I see, you know, wave at Keith, and I, I see this very tall, skinny gentleman on the other end of the console looking. Like, Completely immersed in my guitar solo and just kind of bopping up and down and and with his eyes closed, you know, completely uh, taken with what I was doing. Yeah. So I just sit there and watch this. It's sort of like, well, okay. Well, and the song finishes, and Keith says, "Lindsay, uh, it's so weird you walked in. I want you to, uh, I want you to meet Mick Fleetwood." Yeah. So. Uh, we talked for a few minutes and he complimented me on the guitar playing. Mm-hmm. And I said, Nice to meet you. And I went back to Studio B. I said to Stevie, Hey, I just met Mick Fleetwood. That was weird. Wow. And then maybe a couple of weeks pass and then I get a call from Mick uh, because I think in those two weeks, suddenly Bob Welch had decided that he wanted to leave Fleetwood Mac. And Mick, in in the same spirit of keeping the band going, you know, non sequitur or not, um, calls me up and says, would you like to join Fleetwood Mac? And, you know, I'm not sure if it was right away or if it was maybe the second call, but I eventually said to him, uh, you know— I think I talked to Stevie about it, and we sort of weighed the pros and cons. Uh-huh. And then I, I I talked to him again, and I said... Uh, yes, we would. I'd love to join, but you're going to have to take my girlfriend too, <laughs> yeah.
0: which he did.
1: <laughs> which he did <laughs> to his uh, to his credit, and you but he know, took and, her in and two also, ways,
0: I guess, right? Yes, uh, yeah. very much, yeah.
1: and also to Christine's credit, mm-hmm. you know, who, who was the sole female in the band, and she, the fact that she was so open to it, and I'll tell
0: you, after listening to those records, and and also like Christy, I have McVie's solo record, the first one, right? She's phenomenal.
1: Oh, she's a, a true musician.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, and I listened to some of the record you did with her. Uh, was, right. That wasn't that long ago.
1: No, a couple of years ago.
0: Yeah. Like, like, it's it's odd that, you know, coming out of listening to these things, I'm more attracted or more moved by your voice and her voice than ultimately I'm, yeah, I mean, Stevie's great. Right. But I, I, you, there's a nuance to you guys that is different.
1: Well, we, you know, that was a really fun album to do with, with Christine because we, you know, we it just put us in a whole other context. The solo one from a couple years ago, yeah. And she had, you know, she only had like maybe three songs that were sort of written from the ground up, and Mm. everything else, she, she needed more material. So I kept giving her demos of stuff of mine where I'd done the chords and maybe didn't have words, but had hummed an idea for a melody, and I said, see what you can do with this. And she would invariably come back with something just really transcendent, you know, where she would her sensibilities became so uh, apparent and something that I appreciated even more when I saw what she did to a rough idea of mine and how she articulated it totally in her own way. So you
0: you had a whole new appreciation of her even after working in the band with her for so many years. Yes, oh,
1: very much so. And and I think she had an appreciation for... You know, because the band is rife with politics, still is, but it was then for sure so when
0: you <clears throat> when you first get in there and you, so you you and Stevie decide to take the offer yes and you immediately start writing and working with the whole band or you've got songs you've already got
1: well, that written. was that was the beauty of it was w- once again we you know e- at every turn it seemed that we were prepared um because we had uh i had you know brand new material that we had worked on right yeah. and that i had demoed out on my four track uh, of mine and of stevie's so you know every song on that first album had had been worked out and demoed by me before we had joined the band on the self
0: title like monday morning
1: monday morning all yeah. of them wow. um world turning um
0: world turning that like that one's that's, that's that's like a blues song yeah oh yeah yeah i love that thing
1: yeah and uh <laughs> what do you say? It well, like I know. I mean, that's that drop D thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, see, that walks the line for me between blues and folk because yeah, it's yeah. got the, sure. the same drop D you've got in the chain. You know, yeah, and that, yeah, 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 it's, yeah, It's sort of eh, could, yeah. could be Steve seals, It could be, any yeah. you know, could be any number of things. Yeah. So. Uh, but it was a hit. It was. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean. So but that's how it started. You you were you walk you got you, We
1: were lucky to have all that stuff ready to go.
0: And now how does that start how does that work at the beginning because as as I told you I was was listening to this stuff it, it was clear that you were sort of like the de facto leader of the band.
1: Well, you know what's funny was we we started rehearsing Yeah. um over on Beverly Boulevard in in the basement of some building. And what became clear to me right away Yeah. I mean, even, well, even before that, I knew there were things I was going to have to let go of that were important to me. Um, maybe a lot of my guitar style that you you would find on a song like Frozen Love, the yeah. picking and the yeah. you know the lead playing.
0: Why was that going to have to go?
1: Well, because there was an existing sound that, that was there. There wasn't enough space for a lot of that. Was there? Well, there really was, because you had John, who was, who was quite a melodic and uh, uh, liked to use a lot of notes. You know, he, John's two main influences are uh, Paul McCartney and uh, who's the other one? Who's the great Charlie? Uh, Mingus. Mingus, yes. Yeah. So he's got jazz and he's got McCartney yeah. all put together. And he, and Christine had a really fat uh, keyboard sound and, and tended to play in a fairly Baroque kind of manner. And so I realized, okay, well, I may have to kind of pare back on what I'm— able to do as a guitarist, Uh but what became so clear to me was that these people needed a musical leader. Right. And right away, you know, when on Over My Head, which was I think the first song we started working on, the song of Christine's, you know, it was like she started playing it to show it to everybody and we got to the bridge and I was immediately, it it was apparent to me, no, 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 we're not gonna do that for a bridge, you know, so we changed, you know, changed the bridge to other chords, other melody. And and so from the the, the first day I, I was that was clear that that was going to be probably my most significant role, and it's arguably the the role that has remained the most significant for my whole period in Fleetwood Mac.
0: Sure, and and I think significant for them too as a band.
1: Well, one would hope.
0: Yes, <laughs> yeah, obviously. I mean, like you know, because I I watched that documentary on Peter Green, and you know it was clear that you know they whatever the deal was with green's ego and naming the band fleetwood mac but but you know he was and i think john and mick had a great time playing with that guy probably because it was they were young and that was the, the blues time and or he, was, he was brilliant amazing yeah. yeah yeah but you know he was driving that band yes I think your ability to step into that role with some confidence is what makes all the difference. I mean, it could have floundered.
1: And and also b- being willing to concentrate on what was needed for the big picture and not necessarily looking too much at what was needed for myself, you know?
0: Right, but you were just doing what you do, and it just happened yes. to be a great fit, and, and then the sound become defined by your songwriting and the guitar.
1: That's right. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it was... Uh, I, uh, again, it, it, it was crazy that we we get through and we we complete that album, and as you point out, that it was so successful. because The first one. It, yes, because yeah. uh, again, it, it just seems like, okay, that was pretty easy to do. Sell, Did it surprise, sell four million albums, you think that's easy to do? No. I mean, today it's not.
0: But Did it surprise everyone?
1: I think it may have.
0: That was the biggest record they ever had.
1: Wasn't it? Yes. and but, but, you know, there was a... Um, I, I, I'm not sure if it surprised the record company, but I, 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 but I have to assume it Christy did, Ebbett. I'm sure. But again, you had, you give Mo Austin a lot of credit for keeping the band on the label until we showed up when they weren't making a, a ton of money for the band, and there, it certainly wasn't anything you could hang your hat on in terms of style, album to album. Yeah. And yet, intuitively, Mo would, was, must have been saying... You know, I think there's something here. I'm not sure. I'm just going to let it simmer for a while. You know, yeah. and, and that kind of autonomy. Yeah. You, even if you have people with that kind of intuition today, the the autonomy to to be able to act in that. What was his position
0: at that time? He was president of Warner. Warner. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So you know, I gave him a lot of credit too. But but yeah, were were they surprised? Uh, who knows? I, we certainly. Uh, I mean it's sort of like talking about rumors you can say well we we think this is going to be successful but in the context of a brand new group and where where you had maybe John McPhee saying well you know listening to this sort of quote California album we've made you know with these two new kids that yeah. just joined the band and yeah. his his what he said to Mick was, was oh, it's a long way from the blues <laughs> <laughs> and he wasn't wrong <laughs> And, and, you know, but so maybe there was a touch of ambivalence about what it was, but I don't think that lasted very long, you know? So when did, like, when did it
0: start, so after you do the first record with them, so when does it start getting contentious? When does you, when does Stevie, when do you and Stevie break up and Mick starts dating her and the cocaine, when does it all start happening?
1: Well, I, let's see, um, uh, Stevie, as I said, Stevie and I had been having some problems even before we joined Fleetwood Mac. yeah. Um, she'd been, you know, we, we'd sort of, there had been disappointing things that had happened and then, and then we'd come back together. Yeah. Um, but what had happened was that I think she sort of mentally had one foot out the door anyway by the time, uh, because of that, by the time we joined Fleetwood Mac and we joined Fleetwood Mac, which is ironically, Stevie and me as a couple and John and Christine McVie as a couple and they are in the process of, of getting a divorce at the beginning
0: of when your time, very soon. Yes.
1: I mean, they were in deep trouble already. So once this was something that Christine and Stevie had in common, that maybe they, they were both looking for some independence. And so, um, it didn't take too long after leaving the band. I mean, after joining the band to, uh, to uh, have things come to a head with Stevie and me. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, it, I mean, it, it did sort of happen incrementally because uh, I think the, the way the album unfolded and the success and the visibility of Stevie as a kind of a, uh, a front woman happen incrementally too uh-huh. and the more she was able to sort of see herself in that role and get feedback from either people in the business or just the audiences in general the more it fed that sense of independence as well right so by the time we got you know it wasn't like we just said one day we're, we're not right but it was troubled for maybe six months or or more
0: after the first record or during well, during oh really
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, we had broken up forever by the time we started talking about making rumors.
0: Mm-hmm. And the debt, but did it? And she was dating Mick, right? That was later, though. Yeah. That was probably during Tusk. Oh, so like that? Because I I just can't imagine. Because I'm a, a volatile, insecure, egotistical person. <laughs> Aren't we all? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but I mean, it would have seemed that it would have made you know everything crazy in the band.
1: Well, you know, you, it, it was a pretty unusual uh, social dynamic we had. You know, okay. I mean, you, you're talking about two couples uh, breaking up right when when <sighs> the world is being laid at their feet, so to speak. Right, and having to navigate that emotionally and logistically and, and everything else. I mean, it, it, it you know, you had to compartmentalize your feelings. You had to kind of always, always be pulling back and, and looking at the bigger picture. Do you think
0: it fed to the the music?
1: Uh, oh, the, no question. I mean, there's especially <laughs> yeah. rumors. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, when I said that uh, earlier I was saying that, you know, to some degree at, at there was a point where the success of Rumors became about the success. Yeah. But the success of Rumors was always about something other than the music. It was about this musical soap opera that people could sort of be voyeurs you know yeah. into and through and, the
0: songs or through the tabloids i mean well, what was happening bo- both i yeah. mean the
1: tabloids were far less invasive than right. they are now back in 77 but, but the stories were out there the stories were out there i think just because in you the know, music press yes yeah and um and i think you know the subject matter of the songs made it clear that, that we were writing about what we were living like
0: never going back again
1: yeah <laughs> yeah the, boy was was that an illusion <laughs> Ew.
0: wow, go your own way yeah and but but and Stevie too, I guess you make loving fun i guess it was all kind of
1: i it really was like you know couples because really you know three of the people who were the four, the four people who were the couple, the two couples, were, were the three writers. And we were cross dialoguing to each other all the time in, through music. And that became like a huge record. Yeah. And I, I think that people really bought into the truthfulness and, and again, maybe the sordidness of it, if you want to look at it that way, certainly the tabloid aspect of it.
0: Did, was it sordid? I mean, like, but when did the drug start getting out of control during that record?
1: Well, I think there was a lot of use during yeah. rumors for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um I, I don't you know, even at its worst except maybe for Tango in the night. I yeah. don't I don't remember it ever affecting our ability to to be, you know, to take the creative high road or to articulate the creative high road. Oh, that's good. Um and i I put that down to just the resilience of youth, I guess, you yeah know? <laughs> sure, yeah, and you know, if I was the guy who was in there basically producing the records and being the musical leader uh, uh, I'm not saying I didn't partake but but comparative to other members of the band and and how much they uh would use certain things or drink yeah. how much yeah. they would drink yeah. i I was very much the the least of those you know yeah sure so um yeah i i think so much of what we were able to do was was just so strongly ingrained in us and it was also this synergy this chemistry in which the the synergy that we created was greater than the sum of the parts you know
0: and tusk was what do you think you know when you look at tusk as a record what what does it represent to you? I mean, are you, would you reproduce it?
1: Uh, or are you happy would. with it? You I would, would yes. I, I, it, Tusk is actually in many ways the record I'm the most proud of um, because it thwarted everyone's expectations. Uh-huh. Um, I think in a post-rumors environment, we were in this situation where we possibly were poised to go down one road or another. A a particular road would have been to to make choices that were sort of representative of what the external world expected us to be. Mm. And that's where you start to see a lot of artists lose touch with who they are. You mean repeat it? repeat rumors too yeah. and and at some point you're you're sort of painting yourself into a corner you know as an artist right. because you start to lose your sense of being able to take risks or being able to be engaged in things that are outside your comfort zone just because you know you're doing what what people want you to do yeah and the formula from a corporate point of view is if something works run it into the ground and then move on right
0: you know, leave them all depleted husks. Yes, of, of a nostalgia band. And so, yeah. when it
1: came time to make Tusk, you know, a, a lot of new music, new wave stuff had started to come in from England, especially, and the states. But um, it was, I, I was struggling with, what did all this mean on that level, and so what the out yeah, the just the, the success the new wave? oh the success the okay. success of of. You know, obviously, the success enables you to Mm. make any kind of choice you want, yeah. Which is the irony of it, but it also potentially starts to paint you into a corner. And and I was very uh, intent on on taking a different road Um, because you know, if if you are an artist, or if you want to aspire to be an artist, and to continue to do that in the long term. You've got to keep making choices that have risk, and that that are about what is interesting and and vital to you in that moment. And so, you know, I said to for yourself. Well, not you're not
0: in terms you're not thinking the business model in I'm, order to maintain uh, your your yeah, evolution.
1: No, it's not right. not a business decision right. at all. Yeah. Um, and again, I wouldn't have had the freedom to make that. Decision, or perhaps even the perspective to see that it was a decision that could be made without that business success, success, that commercial success. Right. But, you know, um, in a way, Tusk, you know, obviously, in the same way my solo albums are more esoteric and sort of more off to the left, generally speaking. Yes. Um, and and because of that, you know, maybe I lose nine out of ten people who might listen to a Fleetwood Mac album. Yeah, it's a choice you make. It's like saying I I, I want to be uh, Jim Jarmusch or somebody. You know, right. I, I'm not going to do this because I I want to be Steven Spielberg and right. have have the biggest the most money making movie ever made. I want to do this for my art and for what I believe in.
0: And are you satisfied in that?
1: Yes, I am. And so Tusk was really the line in the sand that got drawn, which allowed me and has allowed me to continue to make that choice over and over again and to somehow have it coexist with Fleetwood Mac, it got to the point where I was, you know, Fleetwood Mac was the big machine and yeah. solo work was the small machine.
0: And they were conflicting at, at, at points.
1: Um, right? Sometimes, but generally not, you know. Because
0: all- Fleetwood Mac kept touring? You know, I mean, what, what, when were you doing both well, simultaneously? Well, I mean, I don't
1: know. Uh, there, there's never, there was never enough time for me to sort of uh, string together a series of albums um, back to back and to, uh, I didn't tour till 2006 as on a solo own, yeah. on my own. So, you know, it was just one of those things that it, it, it allowed. And as Fleetwood Mac sort of went down that road. And of course, as I said, I, I, le- I took leave of Fleetwood Mac in 1987 because I didn't want to do that tour. Um, I made out of the cradle, which is one of my better albums. And then eventually got, Pulled back into Fleetwood Mac and didn't make another solo album uh, till 2006. So uh, there has been a problem in terms of, I wouldn't, maybe not a problem, but a challenge in terms of uh, stringing those things together. Well, the time
0: commitment revolved around touring, right? Yes.
1: So, you know, uh, if you're going to be in Fleetwood Mac, you've got to do everything that Fleetwood Mac needs to be done. And it's a it, big operation. It is. And and if that means that you've got to sort of minimize the logistics of your solo work, then that's okay. Because in a way, it's going to be smaller scale anyway, just because of what it is. Right. And that's that's a good thing for me, you know.
0: Well, maybe it did, uh, you know, force you to at least, you know, be leaner in your approach.
1: Well, I mean, it, it kept me learning. I know yeah. that, you know and and at some point people are up there doing their hits and they yeah and they forget how to even be creative you know
0: I yeah i i i definitely hear that yeah yeah you know, i'm i'm not afforded that luxury as a, as a sort of like uh marginal comic you know you you really got to show up with the new hour every year
1: oh uh, that's comedies as they say it's hard yeah jeez
0: but i i want to make sure that you know we do you know Pay some attention to all the solo records, especially you know. Once you got through, I know that first one was back in the '90s, but it seemed like the the shift from the first couple of solo records, which were, you know, so, I mean, they were they were the production is very of its time, and and there was a I think an attempt to, to make something danceable. Am I wrong?
1: Well, not not the my first solo album was uh, I think I'm going to say 1981. It was Law and Order. That was not really so danceable, but the reason that I even started making solo albums was because the band had gotten very drawn into the whole Tusk idea. Yeah. They were a little bit wary of, of doing it in the beginning, but they got completely drawn into it yeah. by the time we got done. But right. Oh, they loved it. They loved it, yeah. but when it did not sell close to 16 million copies, I think it probably sold four or five, and it was a double album, so still... it. Mick came to me one day and he said well we're not going to do that again meaning you can't go to your house and work on tracks by yourself and bring them in and have us play over them which is what I did
0: so he's sort of blaming you
1: he's not blaming me he's just saying you know we uh, got to
0: get back th- th- to that what w- works.
1: That was that was your art album. We yeah. want to do something a little broader now, uh-huh. and I said okay, but I realized at that point that I wasn't going to c- c- be able to continue to sort of aspire to be the artist, right? W- unless I started making solo albums. So, right. so um, that first one w- wasn't really so dancey. the The second one was called Go Insane, which was a couple of years later. Yeah. And that was a little bit more. The, the Lynn drum machine had just come in. Yeah. And I had a.
0: There's a synthesizer presence. Yeah. Too. There's, yeah.
1: I had this 8 bit Fairlight, which was yeah. uh, very new. And also uh, working with different people. Whereas uh, on that first album, I'd work with Richard Dashett, who is one of the co producers. Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. So uh, I. But on this, I worked with a young guy named Gordon Fordyce, as an engineer, and Roy Thomas Baker, of all people. Wanted to. He he called himself executive producer. On the newest one. On 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 go insane. Go the sing. second yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. This was in nineteen eighty three. I'm yeah, thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And he. Uh, he. You know. He, he. That could mean anything. Executive producer could mean you never see him, but he was there every day. Yeah. And I think his sensibilities worked their way into. Uh, that album and and Gordon the engineer uh, they were all they were both English so they were drawing from the sensibilities of the stuff that was coming over from England kind of new wavy yeah Yeah, so you did get a kind of a a more dancey kind of sensibility on that record no no doubt about it
0: right so
1: I'm trying to get the timeline the last time that we almost
0: talked you were in you had just been cut loose from uh, from Fleetwood Mac (laughs) in a fairly dramatic way what was that about how does that happen?
1: Well, um, ironically, it it sort of began with a—I mean, the tone for it, not the not anything. There, there was no real substantive reason for for it happening, but the tone actually began with the the solo album that is that is about to be released, the brand new one. Which is, you know, been waiting to come out for three years now, at least more, yeah. more actually. And um, when Christine and I were done touring uh, as a duet, which we did, you know, after we made that album, yep, a few years ago, uh, what I asked of the band because they were planning a Fleetwood Mac tour. Pretty much right after that.
0: After in 2017? Yes, Yeah. whenever that was. Yeah, Uh,
1: yeah, maybe 18. 18, yeah. And I, what I said was, I wanna, you know, we did this great project with Christine. I have this other album that I'm really proud of. It's a pop album. And I would love to, if you would give me an extra three months just to put it out and do some American Dates before Fleetwood Mac goes out. And um, there was certainly one person who did not uh, want to uh, bestow that on me. And so it it kind of got... Why didn't she? Well, um... Was it petty? I don't know. Okay. Uh, Or Stevie yes okay and I mean I mean to be fair everyone was anxious to get on the road sure but you know yeah we we've all made time for each other's Stuff. things yeah. you know and we, you know we I'd been in the band for 43 years for God's sake <laughs> Jesus so um anyway yeah that sort of led to other things that kind of built up around that, and yeah. then it just got to the point where um, someone just didn't want to work with me anymore, and other people were perhaps not feeling empowered enough to stand up for me when possibly they should have or could have. Huh. And um, and it wasn't based on. I mean, I'm not saying that I can't be hard to get along with sometimes. Yeah. But if you put it in a, in a larger context of all the things that Fleetwood Mac this this Fleetwood Mac has been through. Yeah. Uh, and what we've risen above. Sure. Um, in order to to keep our eye on on the larger picture and in order to fulfill our destiny over sure. and over again.
0: Yeah. You know, it th- was bigger than this.
1: Oh yes, yeah. any any issues were were you know were not worthy of of what happened and what was most um, disappointing about it to me was was not oh gee I'm not going to get to do this tour so much what it was was again we spent forty three years building this legacy which was about rising above things it stood for more than the music yeah and and by allowing this to happen um through some levels of weakness uh, my own weakness included Mm. um i think we we did some harm to that legacy and that's that's a shame
0: yeah and outside of the the solo album right now i mean where does where those what does that relationship stand with you where are you at now with that with the band
1: well i mean you know i i've spoken to mick you know um i've certainly i probably text him more than i actually speak to him i i've spoken to him a couple of times i i knew i had to call him when, when peter green passed away yeah um
0: how was that conversation?
1: It was great. I mean, he's, he and I are soulmates and always will be. You and Mick. You, Mick and I. Yeah. And and we love each other and, and, and we reinforced each other's uh, sensibilities in the band. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm sure uh, it's my sense that, you know, pretty much— Everyone would would love to, to to see me come back if we, right. if that was doable. But I you know I don't know if it's doable or not. So now so,
0: you have this like like for instance you went through a divorce.
1: Well, right. I, it's not actually. It's not. We have not divorced. Okay. Okay. We we uh, we filed. Okay. Okay. And we're it's sort of a work in progress. All right. And, I, and I'm, I'm,
0: I, not, I'm just I I was just using it as an example. No, I, was, I mean it, yeah. that
1: that information was certainly out there, oh. and but we have not signed any divorce papers and and i i would say you know there's probably some chance that we will work this out okay well
0: i I guess my question was really leading to okay so you you were going through things you had heart uh the surgery Uh now does does stevie call you
1: no wow no i mean she did when i had my bypass she did uh Text me or email oh, she me. Did? Yeah. Okay. Wish me well, and and that was nice.
0: Well, that's good. That would have been sad to me. I mean, yeah. Yeah. No,
1: no, no. It's fine. Okay. I mean, I want CV to be happy. So yeah. you know.
0: Yeah. So, it seems that you, uh, on on your own, you know, starting with that record that you know moved me so much, the Under the Skin record, have really you know, picked up where you wanted to go after Tusk in a real way. Like, continue to take chances. Yeah. Continue to really... Because, so, like, the way you sing now... I've never heard anybody who who is such a, a distinct and powerful singer as you are, you know, evolve your voice appropriately to what you you're, you seem to see as your limitations as you get older. Right. And, like, and you do it with such uniqueness and you do not hide the voice, I find it very impressive.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: Do you feel like you are doing the work now that you... you Do you, you feel invigorated by the chances you're taking?
1: Well, yeah. Um, you know, I... I'm in the middle of rehearsals right now, and I, you know, I'm. It's sort of like we haven't started doing the whole set yet, so yeah. I don't know how I'm even going to feel physically when we do that. But you know, you it's seem, been,
0: You look like you're in good shape. Well, I feel
1: good. Yeah. You know, I'm. I get a little more tired than I used to, uh-huh. but you know, uh, I'm. I'm assuming there's sort of a you, you sort of build up to it. Yeah, uh, it's just been a while since we've done sure. it.
0: Who's uh, your band?
1: Um, well, I, a lot of people that have been back up for Fleetwood Mac and people I've known for years and oh, yeah. years There's a guitar player named Neil Haywood, who is brilliant, uh, keyboardist and guitarist named Brett Tuggle, uh-huh. uh, a keyboardist and, uh, sort of, uh, computer programmer named Mike Kianca and, uh, a drummer named Jimmy Paxson. Oh, great. And that's it.
0: Huh. Yeah. so like a, a tight, uh, tight outfit.
1: It's a tight outfit, you know, yeah. and we we're uh, we're having a ball so far.
0: But and when you make these records, like this last one, you you when we were just talking, you called it a pop record.
1: Well, more so than some, yes.
0: And so, and your expectations of it, you know, at, you know, given that we've established it, you, you know, are an evolving artist, and you know, it doesn't become about money or necessarily about hits. What is it that you expect out of the work now?
1: Um. N- not a whole lot, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you, you figure <laughs> you, X number of people with the right ears are going to hear it. Yeah. And
0: you, know? you have fans for your solo work, and I imagine a lot of the Fleetwood Mac people enjoy
1: it. Uh, yes, and and every once in a while you'll hear about somebody who you think, oh, that's nice. Who is Who is telling me? because I did an, uh, on my last my last solo album was yeah. Seeds We Sow in 2011 yeah uh, and someone was talking about Stephen King it was like his favorite album so oh really you don't there is not a high expectation to to sell anything you know right, sure. and especially okay. these days I yeah. mean yeah you know I mean if you used to if my albums used to sell 350,000 copies you know what what is the equivalent of that in today's market? 35. Yeah, yeah. You know, some right. I mean, yeah, so yeah. you 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 can't really put that in there. I mean,
0: So you do but the touring means something.
1: The whole thing means something because the people who have an interest in in hearing it are yeah. going to find it. Yeah. And it's going to, you know, you're going to get you're going to make some waves out there and 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 being able to articulate it by uh, uh, touring because we're doing, like, five new songs. In yeah, the how many dates are you thinking you're going to do? Well, it's a little hard to say. You know, we had a bunch of stuff kind of nailed down. Um, we had one leg nailed down, which is what we're starting with still in yeah. in America, but we also had uh, a bunch of dates in the U.K. And, and Europe and also in Australia, and all of that's gone away because of COVID for now. So it's, sure, it's we don't know,
0: right? What do you like in in the United States? What do you do? Like thirty dates?
1: Um, I th- eventually probably a few more than that, mm. you know, because we'll break it up into two legs. Right, right. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, we, so it's uh, you don't know when you're going to start again.
1: Um, it's in the beginning of September. Okay. Yeah.
0: Well, I enjoyed the record. Good,
1: <laughs> and I enjoyed talking to you. Well, I enjoyed talking to you. I always do.
0: Are you going to be? Doing Largo? Are you doing Largo tomorrow, by any chance? What is... It's like one of those judge shows. I just. Saw. Oh,
1: no. I haven't... I didn't hear about that one, no. Oh, sorry. Did he just got been... back from what, England. Went Hawaii. Oh, England? Well, he probably did that, too, but he yeah. was shooting a movie yeah, with yeah, yeah, Fred yeah. Armisen, I yeah. think. Yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess they're doing... I, I think they're doing benefits for the actual place. Oh, okay. I think this is the, the second one. I just know I got a. I got called to... Flanny asked me to do it, so I'm going to go do well, something.
1: Well, it's funny, because Fred Armisen... Uh, emailed me uh, like two weeks ago and wanted me to do... Oh,
0: his show over there.
1: Yeah, and I couldn't do it. I, yeah. w- I had something else I had to do that night, but... Um...
0: But you're ready to go if you're needed?
1: Well, yeah, hell. <laughs> of yeah. course. <laughs>
0: All right, man. Great talking to you.
1: Great talking to you, Mark. Thanks, buddy.
0: That was a great talk, wasn't it? Lindsay Buckingham. The new album comes out September 17th He'll be on tour to support that album. Dates forthcoming. Is that how you say that? Rest in peace, Dusty Hill. Godspeed, Bob Odenkirk. Get well soon. Now I'll play some guitar. This was a one-take riff. Monkey, Fonda, cat angels everywhere.